right. Well, we're continuing on. We're doing a, a six-week series on the church, and uh, we're moving uh, on in that. Uh, last week, we talked uh, a little bit about the idea of, uh, of what the church is as a, an invisible ultimate body uh, and an invisible ultimate body that has a visible and local expression in the local church. So I don't know if you've ever been, I remember uh, seeing, I can't remember what they're called now, but you, you go to a, a building or a campus uh, and they have like the little miniature uh, layout, the, 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 the miniature um, you know, example of what everything looks like. And that, that's what the local church is. It's the local, uh, visible manifestation of what the ultimate end-time people of God are to look like. And the reason it is that is because that is what is on display to the world. So when the world looks in, it sees a local, tangible, visible group of kingdom people who are committed to uh, one another and to God and Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, so it's a, it's a visible way for the world to see the goodness of God in the gospel uh, and to be through His Spirit attracted to that uh, to become a part of it as well. And we're going to continue on in that as we progress through this series uh, on the church. So Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll get started today. Thank you, Father, again for your goodness and your grace. We recognize, Father, that it is by your grace that we are who we are. Uh, Father, that uh, we are in ourselves not smart enough, not moral enough uh, to be pleasing to you. And uh, that in spite of that, Father, you have made a way for us to be adopted into your family as sons and daughters. Not because we were good, but because Jesus was good for us. And by trusting in that, that we might be forgiven of our sin and receive new life in him. So, Father, we thank you for the simplicity of that message. And we recognize, Father, that it didn't cost us anything. We recognize that it cost Jesus his very life. And so we say thank you. And we recognize, Father, that while our salvation didn't cost us anything, following after Jesus uh, really does cost us everything. And so we pray that we would seek our deepest joy and satisfaction in Jesus. And that you would help us to look more like him. As your spirit works in us. And Father, we pray that you would do that today. As we consider this body, the church. We pray, as we said last week, that you would give us the strength to give ourselves for something that is bigger than ourselves. Father, we pray that you would turn the eyes of our hearts outward to something bigger. And that you would encourage faithfulness in us. Would you take a few minutes and just pray for your own heart? Don't say anything out loud, uh, but just pray that God would speak to you today. And then would you take a few minutes again silently and just pray for me. Pray that God would speak through me this morning.
We need you, Father. We need your spirit to work in our hearts. We need you to make us what we cannot in ourselves become. And so, Father, we humble ourselves before you. We pray that you would move. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we we thought about this idea of comfort-based covenant. Uh, or commitment versus covenant-based uh, commitment. And uh, Mandy and I uh, were at our little marriage group that we do on Fridays this past week, and we were talking about some of this, and, and it, it, really, it got me thinking because as we were talking, uh, what we see, at least in my observation around us as regards marriage, we see the idea that marriage is a, a relationship of mutual self-interest, where oftentimes it can become an arrangement where a man and a woman seek to have certain desires fulfilled in themselves, and so they look to someone else to fulfill those desires. So it's two people who are self-interested. They have certain things they want to see happen, and marriage becomes a relationship where they look for those things to be satisfied in those things. Mutual self-interest. When the pattern that we see in Scripture for marriage uh, is mutual self-sacrifice. Do you see the difference? Mutual self-interest versus mutual self-sacrifice. Where you have two people in relationship who covenant together to give themselves for one another. Mutual self-interest Versus mutual self-sacrifice. And in my observation, anyway, if you've been to a wedding recently, uh, maybe you've seen this, this pattern. And again, this is just anecdotal. It's just my observation. But how couples uh, will write their own vows. And they'll make the, or they'll say those vows to one another that they've written. And oftentimes what I see and what I hear are vows that aren't really vows, there are more statements about how the other person causes them to feel. I love you because you make me feel this and you make me feel that. Whereas if you think about traditional wedding vows, traditional wedding vows are much more solemn promises that one partner makes to the other. So uh, I just wrote down the, uh, the, the kind of the traditional frame of wedding vows. And here's what you would say in a traditional sense. And just listen to the language of promise and how the language has nothing to do with the person who is saying it and what they will receive in the relationship. All right, listen. In the name of God, I this person, take you, that person, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until parted by death. And then it ends with this sentence, this is my solemn vow. So the promise is regardless of what happens, it spans the horizon, doesn't it? Richer, Poor, good times, bad times, health, uh, prosperity, whatever, everything in between, this is my vow. This is my vow. So again, mutual self-interest, uh, uh, comfort-based commitment versus 
mutual self-sacrifice, covenant-based commitment. See, this is what vows do and this idea of pledges. This is what they, they do. They give strength to a relationship. They give structure to a relationship. They give a, an identity to a relationship, don't they? Uh, they affirm a relationship and they, they make it durable. So, so a vow gives strength to a covenant the way a reinforced steel bar gives strength to a concrete pillar. A concrete pillar has a lot of strength and stability. But when you put a reinforced steel bar within it, it makes it even more strong and rigid and stable. And so the vow in a marriage relationships helps partners to appreciate the weight of the relationship. It helps them to appreciate what is on the line in this marriage covenant that they've entered into. So again, last week we said that any discussion of the church must begin with the new covenant that was instituted by Jesus' blood and into which a person enters strictly, solely by faith alone in what Jesus has done. But then we said that the new covenant generates visible communities in which new covenant people live out and express the invisible ultimate kingdom in covenant with one another. And so you are, just as you are born into a family, you are born again into a family. It's a package deal, right? Uh, in the New Testament, there aren't any unchurched Christians. Uh, if you're born into a family, you're born again into a family. And so belonging to a visible church, this is what we said last week, Belonging to a visible church is where we express our belonging to the invisible universal church. This is where we live that out. And so the local church is the universal church in miniature, right? Just like, uh, just like if you go to, uh, if I go to the U.S. Embassy in Dublin, uh, it, the, an embassy is a micro-expression of a kingdom or a state. If I go to the U.S. embassy, I am on U.S. soil even though I'm in a different country. Because an embassy is an outpost of a bigger kingdom. And that's what the local church is. It's an embassy or an outpost of the kingdom of God. The ultimate, invisible, universal kingdom of God. And so the application last week was if you belong in Christ, if you're a believer, then you belong in a local church as the expression of that kingdom. So belong by giving yourself to something bigger than yourself. This week I want us to think more about this idea of covenant-based commitment. Why is the idea of covenant so important to this body called the church. We are, at a broad level, a covenant people because God is a covenant-making God. 
When we look at God, this is what we see all through Scripture. We see God establishing his kingdom through a covenant people who are identified with himself. And so from the very beginning, God is going to use covenants to identify and to affirm and to give structure to a people. And so he covenants with Adam in Genesis 2. He covenants with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. Uh, He's going to make an oath later in Genesis 22 to further strengthen that covenant promise that he's made to Abraham. We see him make a covenant with Moses and Israel in Exodus 19 and 24. And then later, uh, as they renew their vows in Deuteronomy chapter 29... He's going to make a covenant further with David in 2 Samuel 7. And then all of these covenants are fulfilled finally and completely in a new covenant that we see in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, which is inaugurated and instituted in Jesus as he dies on the cross and rises from the dead. Uh, He is the perfect Davidic heir, right? He he is the perfect new Israel. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the second Adam. And and this new covenant then is the foundation of this end-of-time people, this end-of-time body called the church. But again, God's design is that that Uh, new covenant generates visible bodies of covenant people. Remember the words of Jesus, Matthew 16, he talks about the church and it is out there. It is, uh, it is future and it is ultimate. But then in Matthew 18, it's all very tangible and it's, it's all very physical and local. Or take 1 Corinthians 11, you see in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, uh, a uh, kind of a, a, a local church that is in mind. When you gather as a church, that is not a universal statement. That is a local statement. When you gather as a church, and then later he tells them, when you gather as a church, you break bread together in, in observance of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that Jesus gave to all believers So you see this idea of local and global. So this idea of the end time church made visible in local bodies, in local churches, lies at the heart of the New Testament letters, right? If we think about some of the places where we see this, we see uh, in the New Testament letters the command to tell the church, Or we see that the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They gathered the church together. He went up and greeted the church. Greet also the church that meets in their home. To God's church at Corinth. When you gather together as a church. To the churches of Galatia. Do you see this this idea of, of local visible language? As the New Testament writers address these visible churches. So if you belong in Christ, you belong in a local church. But here's the question. What makes a local church a local church? 
What makes this local church distinct from, say, a seminary or a Bible study uh, or another church down the road? What is it that makes a local church a local church? This is where we start to kind of narrow uh, our understanding of, of what we mean by church. A local church is born in two distinct acts or phases, if you will. Again, the new covenant takes precedence. We can't ignore the fact that the new covenant is the starting point of every local church. Uh, So Greg Allison, the theologian, uh, he said, the new covenant relationship between God and Christ followers is initial. It is prior to, it is foundational for, and generative of the covenantal relationship that exists between church members. He's right. Faith in Jesus, uniting a person to the new covenant, is the first act in the making of a local church. If we miss that, then the local church becomes simply a contractual body. But it's not. It's a covenant body. Because its first act in in its formation is the new covenant whereby the Spirit draws people into new birth in Christ. But how does it then become visible in space and time? Well, the creation of a local church requires a second act, a second decision. Now, if you are a Presbyterian, or if you grew up in a Roman Catholic church, or if you grew up in the Church of Ireland, Uh, That second decision is made by a higher church authority. So someone up the uh, ecclesiastical chain of command says there's going to be a church there. And that's the second act. That's the decision. But if you are a convinced congregationalist that believes that every local church is to select leaders for itself, If you are a convinced congregationalist, then a local church is constituted or born when new covenant people covenant together to be a church for one another, for the world, and for the glory of God. Coming together around a common commitment to the gospel and to one another with a desire to be identified as a church in order to exercise the authority Jesus gave the local church through practicing the ordinances, etc., etc. So just consider Acts 2 just very briefly for a moment. Uh, Adam read Acts 2. Uh, I don't want to go through, I'm not going to exposit all of these verses, but just think about Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Peter has preached the gospel. Uh, He has preached the gospel. He has called people to repent and be baptized. And in verse 41, we see those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a day that was, right? Uh, In verse 41, those who have believed and been publicly identified in baptism now come together locally around this apostolic gospel. They devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles. 
Uh, they, they're going to follow leaders, right? In Acts chapter 6, they're going to choose new leaders. They're going to choose leaders to serve as, uh, as, as deacons. They're going to come together uh, later in Acts 2, 42 to 47, to celebrate the Lord's table, uh, to practice those ordinances, and to do life together. The point is that they become an identifiable group of people in space and time. And then this extends to other parts of the empire as the gospel spreads. And so a church is formed then as believers come together and deliberately intend to form a church. So every local church then is an embodiment of this kind of commitment. Again, uh, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to this. They gave themselves to this identifiable group of people. So to identify with a local church then is to identify yourself with those key covenant commitments. Now, most churches, uh, most churches write them down just as a matter of prudence, right? Because if a church is going to exist for 50 years or 100 years, uh, most churches feel it prudent to have something written down so that in those years to come, people remember where the church was established and founded. But the same truth holds whether it's written down or passed down orally. So local churches can be more or less organized. They can be more or less structured. But every visible local church is, by definition, organized and structured. Because that's what makes a local church a local church. It isn't the haphazard mingling of New Covenant believers. It is an intentional and deliberate act whereby a group of believers covenant together and say, we are going to be a church for one another and for the world and for the glory of God. As soon as two or more New Covenant people commit together to do that and be that, a local church is organized and instituted and born. So a local church isn't just a visible end-time expression of end-time people. It is a deliberate, covenant-based expression of that, where people come together and commit to being the church for one another. And that's who we are. We are at our core, a new covenant people of faith who have deliberately chosen to gather as an expression of that covenant, detailing how we uh, will be the church and give ourselves to one another. And we've written down our statement of faith. We've written down our rules of order. We've written down how we select leaders. Uh, all of those things we've written down so that there is clarity. And we annually affirm our identification by calling what we call a, a covenant. A member's covenant, a summary of what we are giving ourselves to. Uh, it's a vow uh, or a pledge or an oath that we make to one another. And our church covenant uh, is for us the best practical tool to clarify who we are as a church, to own the responsibilities that God has given us together together, 
to be the church for one another, and to confess our weakness to one another as we live together in community. So we feel like our covenant helps to bring clarity. Helps to bring clarity. Uh, It helps us to be clear in doctrine and practice. As as everyone, we, we all identify under a clear statement of faith and order. It helps us to bring clarity about who wants to be identified publicly with us. So as a leader, uh, when I read Hebrews 13, 17, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account to God. So as I read uh, Hebrews 13, 17, as a leader, I really want to be clear about Who wants me to take responsibility for their discipleship? Because I will be responsible to God for that person. So I like that clarity. It helps you to be clear about your faith. So when we do a a, a membership interview, we, we we listen to the person's story about how they came to faith, how they came to trust Uh, in Jesus. Because it is the gospel, it's the new covenant gospel that draws someone into a visible new covenant community. And so we listen to that testimony. We affirm it uh, as as being credible, right? And if you haven't been baptized, uh, as a response to listening to that testimony, we'll baptize you. This is uh, this is how we see baptism uh, for believers. And so the church formally affirms, and then publicly identifies with you, having heard your testimony. Now, look, we will love you and care for you whether you're a member or not. But that notwithstanding, becoming a covenant member creates absolute clarity that you want that kind of identification. It makes it clear that you want that kind of, you want to be publicly identified with this church. Our covenant spells out the responsibilities that we are agreeing to and and pledging uh, to own as we live with one another. Uh, Bobby Jamison calls uh, the the idea of covenant a mutual self-conscious commitment. In which a church affirms and cares for a Christian, and a Christian submits to and cares for the church. It's a mutual, self-conscious commitment. And so we affirm our responsibility to be devoted to one another, to encourage one another in fellowship, to live with one another and be responsible for one another and to one another, recognizing that I am here to help you grow in your walk with Jesus. And you are here to help me grow in my walk with Jesus, even if that is painful. It affirms our responsibility to guard doctrine together. In in Galatians, when Paul chides the the church at Galatia for, for veering off the course of orthodox doctrine, he doesn't just chide the leaders He talks to all of the members of that church and how they have wandered away from the gospel. 
Guarding the doctrine is something that we do together. It affirms our responsibility to make decisions together. Now, as an elder-led, uh, as an elder-led congregationalist, you know, most of our decisions are made by elected elders. The members elect elders who are given responsibility to shepherd. But any, any high-level decision is made by the group of, of members together. And it affirms our responsibility to be accountable to our leaders. So in our, in our covenant, we own the responsibility we have to choose leaders under the direction of the Holy Spirit, to submit to those leaders. Again, the flip side of Hebrews 13, 17, is that we are responsible to obey and submit to those who are in authority over us. We're not the masters of our own domain. And listen, uh, that applies to me as well. I'm one elder of four, but I'm submitting myself to a group of elders. And beyond that, I'm submitting myself to the gathered congregation. So all of us are under authority. And so Hebrews 13, 17 says that we obey and submit to obey, which at least means to allow ourselves to be persuaded by. Even if we may not agree in every aspect, it is our responsibility to be accountable. And finally, our covenant is a visible reminder of our weakness. It's a confession that our natural desire is to gravitate to self, to think, okay, what's in it for me? What, 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 what is, uh, what's best for me? And so our, uh, you know, the covenant that we sign as covenant members is an acknowledgement that giving myself is good, but it's difficult. And so we start with the idea of with the Spirit's help, this is what I am committing myself to do. Because we recognize that it is, it is not in my nature to give myself for other people. And so we need the Spirit's help to do that. It's a reminder to us that, that I've entered, that I've not entered into a group primarily geared for my benefit. I'm not my own shepherd. I've entered into something driven by mutual self-sacrifice where we give ourselves for one another. Not into something driven by mutual self-interest. See, a church that's run on mutual self-interest is, is no different than any other organization. Where because we have like interests, uh, we just kind of all pursue our own self-interest and it ends up benefiting everybody. That's not what a church is. A church is a place where we come together and commit to giving ourselves to one another. And we trust God with meeting our needs. We give ourselves to each other. We, we seek to sacrifice for one another as we live out the gospel together. See, my signature on the page, my commitment uh, in covenant form, my vow and my pledge is good for me. Because it's not in my nature to give myself. And it's good for those around me. Remember God's covenants that we, we talked about earlier? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 to 17 reminds us that God offered a pledge 
a vow to Abraham in Genesis 22 in order that Abraham might feel doubly sure and confident that God's word was true. So in in Hebrews 6, verse 13, he says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. So God made a promise to Abraham. But then in order that Abraham might be certain that God's word was true, he added to that promise a vow. And the reason for that, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 6, is that Abraham might be encouraged in those two things. It is impossible for God to lie, isn't it? It's impossible for God to not be faithful to his promise. That's one. It's impossible for God to not be faithful to his oath. That's two. So Abraham is able to be doubly confident that God is going to do what he says he will do. And that's what pledges or oaths or vows do, right? Pledges offer added strength to any agreement. If you don't believe that, ask your banker, right? Your banker is not going to take your word word for it that you're going to repay your mortgage, are they? So pledges, pledges uh, give strength to these things, to these promises that we make. So God wanted to be very clear. He offered a pledge in order that we might be encouraged. Now, God's pledge, God's oath works strictly for our benefit, doesn't it? Because God doesn't lie. Our pledges, though, work both ways because we are weak. And so our pledges, our oaths, our vows not only exists to give confidence to the one that we make it to, but it exists for us, doesn't it? To hold us to what we have said we would do. Our promises bind us to our word just as much as they bind us together. Well, just as we close, let me just mention three implications or three things that come from this. Uh, First, this doesn't mean that you should never leave a local church. This doesn't mean that, okay, if you join a church, well, that's it. You you can never leave. It certainly means that you should only leave uh, after very careful prayer and discussion. It, It means that there is something stronger than just your feeling that is drawing you to a local church. You know, we should work together on things before we just cut and run. But the bride of Christ is ultimately greater than this church, Galway City Baptist Church. It means, though, if you are a member of this church, you're a member of it by covenant. The new covenant, which unites all believers together, creating a new people, but creating a new people that gather in a local church with a covenant commitment to God and to each other. Uh, The church covenant doesn't mean that you have to join in order to worship here. We're not going to make you become a covenant member. Uh, It doesn't mean that you have to join in order to worship or to be cared for, uh, to be ministered to. Sometimes there are good reasons why a person does not want to or does not yet make a, a covenant commitment. But even though people come and people go, 
And even though some don't feel ready or able to make a formal covenant with us, nevertheless, because of that covenant, Galway City Baptist Church exists as a definable, durable, accountable church by virtue of that covenant that we make with each other and that we make with God. And then, just as most couples exchange rings when they make promises so that there is a visible sign of that promise they've made, we have a covenant that we sign and reaffirm together uh, every year. It's a symbol. It's symbolic of us putting uh, ourselves on the line for the covenant that unites us. Doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that things are always going to work out. You know, I look at my wedding ring and there's a lot of dings in it. Uh, There's a lot of scratches. And it's the same way in a local church. I'm not perfect. I never will be. But I know where I stand publicly. And everybody else knows where I stand publicly. So, maybe some of that resonates with you today. Maybe for some of you, you've never become part of the new covenant by placing your trust in Jesus as your Savior. And maybe today would be the day where you would join His uh, universal end-of-time family by trusting in Him that He has paid the penalty for your sin and offers you life. Or maybe today, uh, maybe you feel like God is calling you to formally uh, make a commitment and join this local expression of the universal body. If either of those uh, are for you, then please come and talk to me after. I would love to talk with you more about either of those things. In the meantime, let's pray together before we close. Well, again, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that through Christ you have drawn us into a family. Into a family ultimately as part of your eternal people. And Father, that you desire to draw us into a family locally and visibly. And I pray, Father, for people that are on the fence about either of those things. We pray, Father, that your spirit would open the hearts of those who have never trusted in Jesus, that today might be the day that they receive that gift of life that you offer through faith. And Father, we pray for those that are on the edges uh, locally and visibly, whether they be fearful or whatever, Father. We pray, Father, that your spirit would draw them in to a public commitment, a public identification of this local church. Or if not this one, another one. Uh, We recognize that we are not the only local expression of your kingdom. Father, we know that you desire us to be to be a part of your visible uh, family. And so we pray that you would work. We love you and we thank you for Jesus, whose church it is. And it's in his name we pray, amen.